This podcast contains swear words. Hello and welcome to Talking Shit with Tara Cheyenne, a podcast about art making, creativity, not giving up and living well in the process. I'm coming from the perspective of a performing artist, but the themes and issues discussed here apply to all of us. Whether you consider yourself an artist or not, life is a creative act. I'm your host, Tara Cheyenne Friedenberg, a choreographer, actor, dancer, writer, and educator, living on the unceded, ancestral, stolen territories of the Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh, and Squamish nations on the west coast of Canada. All right, and today I have a fantastic interview with my good friend, Susie Burpee. Susie is a dancer, choreographer, creator, and academic, and advocator, maker of change, who lives currently in so-called Toronto, on the traditional territory of the Masagas of the Credit, the Anishinaabeg, the Chippewa, Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat. Susie and I sat down and talked of many things, including her incredible research into the realities, the challenges, and the pleasures of being a caregiver and a dance artist, especially in these strange and challenging COVID times. The realities of parenting and caregiving at any time can be super challenging, and right now they're extra, extra specially challenging. And I want to acknowledge, and Susie wants to acknowledge, that There, of course, is privilege in some of the things that we talk about in this interview, including the luxury. It really is a luxury of being able to rest after you have a child, of having a a partner who participates in that caregiving. Not everybody has that privilege. Susie and I also talk about imagination as a safety zone. I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. And before I dive into this interview, I just want to remind you, as I always do, yes, 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 to please like, rate, and review this podcast on whatever platform you listen to it. And if you have the means, we love a donation. It really does help. You can go to terrashyan.com, upper right-hand corner, and just click on Donate, and we'll put the direct link in the show notes. And stick around. At the end of our episode, we have a little teaser from Isolation Suite, the audio series by Tim Carlson, which is a co-production between Theatre Conspiracy and Rumble Theatre, who are both residents, as is Tara Shine Performance, at Progress Lab here in so-called Vancouver. We love to support our neighbors and these great artists doing really interesting podcasts. Isolation Suite is a hybrid of rock and roll, poetry, and drama that sonically explores survival as a creative act. And we will link that podcast in the show notes. So, Susie Burpee, when did we meet? Did we meet? Here's my memory. And you tell me if you think this is correct. Mm. I think we met, I knew who you were, Mm -hmm. the famous Susie Burpee, amazing choreographer and performer from Toronto. And I had heard, oh yeah, oh Tara, you got to see Susie because she does the funny and the dance too. And she uses her voice. And I was like, hello. And then we met real life doing dances for a small stage, 2011. And I was probably two months pregnant, super barfy. And I found out later, so were you. Is that your memory? That is my memory. It's such a good memory. I had just found out I was pregnant. I literally, (laughs) before I got on the plane to Vancouver kind of thing. And so, you know, there were all those special feelings. And, uh, and I remember you so well, yes, because you hosted it, right? You hosted yes. Dances for a Small Stage as well as presented something. That's right. That was hilarious and awesome and totally, you know, 
my jam. <laughs> and yeah, and then I did my own vamped, bewigged character in that show. Oh, with the piano. With the piano and the feathers. And it was so mm. fun. Yeah. What's his name? Lovely Billy. Billy Marchansky. We pushed, like, I need someone to push the piano. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and he was so willing. Yes. It was so fun that I loved it. I loved it. And I think, yeah, it was that convergence also of that special feeling, you know, and yeah, something's happening inside my body. And yeah, along with these other things that have always happened in my body, you know, dancing and the like. So Yeah, that's so interesting, isn't it? Because we are so embodied. Mm. I mean, everybody's embodied, but just really aware of everything going on and this hurts and this is needs more work. And and then this other thing happening at the same time of making a human inside your body. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did it change how you danced at all or how you thought about performing? Yes, I think, I mean, so now, you know, now there's been two children I've been blessed to um, be able to give birth to. And I guess there's been a, you know, a really ever shifting journey through all of it. So yeah, I, I feel like it runs the gamut from a new virtuosity in a changing body and not knowing how to manage that and maybe missing access to this virtuosity that I was really familiar with. So jumping, turning, spinning, whatever, not that that completely went away, but, um, but I had my kids older. And so I felt tired a lot. And when I had a toddler and a baby, I found like a physical challenge that I'd never really encountered. You know, it was one thing to do these big dance works on stage and sweat it out, but it was a different kind of physical challenge and stamina. And so, you know, but I, but I love teaching with my round belly. Like I loved that feeling. I loved the opportunities that were few, but really welcome where, where I was able to bring the babes in the room, you know, and the combo of sitting there with a babe in arms and working with students. It just like that, that kind of convergence was amazing. And then there's moments where I also look back and go, oh, did I take advantage enough? Like, did I, you know, did I dance as much as I should have, could have with that belly? Or did I explore what moving was like, you know, in, and I think a lot of it, a lot of the times I didn't, you know, we just sort of keep on going through it. But, uh, but I, there's still learnings, even in hindsight, you know, even now, like almost 10 years on from the first one, I still like, there's still physical residue of all of it and learning. That was a long answer. That was a great answer. It's a lot of stuff. <laughs> I loved being pregnant. Mm. And I have colleagues who hated it, mm -hmm. who just were like, get this. And I was just like, this is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Partly because I realized in hindsight, because I didn't have to think about the size of my body. Mm -hmm. I was just like, I'm growing a person. This is fantastic. I don't have to, um, mm -hmm. I don't have to deal with that. That isn't top of mind. Um, mm -hmm. This is very revealing to say, but it was like my excuse. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, I was doing like cartwheels and handstands and all this, like, yeah. it was so crazy. The balance thing that happened, yeah. that happened for me, even towards the end, it was just so, so joyful. Mm -hmm. And then after so hard <laughs> mm, mm. to move. And I was so, um, tell me if this was something that you experienced. I've definitely heard this from other parents is just that pressure. Like I got to get back in the game as fast as possible. So I'm not forgotten or written off mm -hmm. because I've had a child. Mm -hmm. So I certainly like, I pushed it way too fast mm. and really screwed up my back because I was still all like so relaxed and so much relaxed in my body. Mm. Talk about your writing and your research into this. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny just to respond back to what you said about getting back in the game. You know, when I, when I had Alice, my daughter, um, as she identifies at the moment, um, <laughs> it was, it was actually like a break. Oh. So for the few years leading up to that moment, I had been really gigging and like lots of opportunities, but also, um, you know, just trying to make it as an independent artist. And so taking all the opportunities and maybe, you know, doing too much or trying to teach to like pay the rent and just running. I felt like I was running from gig to gig, really just to survive. And I didn't, you know, I danced all my life. So I didn't have also other skills that so many artists have, you know, to be able to be do fitness training or something that maybe like 
gives a little more a dollar per hour. At any rate, I was really tired. I was really tired. And when she was born, I just relaxed into the rest of it. Just only having to do one thing was really felt really good. And so I just let go of everything. And so it was only later, you know, after sort of that time of recuperation, I don't know if it was months or a year where I, I realized, oh my gosh, yeah, now I, now I feel pressure. What have, what have I missed? I think. Yeah. But you were moving into another, another topic there, but I just wanted to respond to that, that idea of yeah, getting back in the game, which, you know, is a common sentiment that I hear among folks who have dependents and who have to be away um, in different ways from their work. Yeah. There's pressure sort of that, you know, what was your last gig and when did we last see you and what are you doing now? And, and some folks can, you know, keep up through social media and kind of maintain a presence that way. And for other folks that I've spoken to, colleagues with, with kids, they're like, no, I can't, can't manage it. So I just sort of step away. Sort of where we're going is really interesting territory. And as you know, like I'm, I'm all up in it right now. This is uh, my new, it's not new, but it's, it's my work sort of has evolved over the last year or two to land me in this space of, of advocacy around caregivers in the arts. So yeah, we can, we can dive there when it's time. Oh yeah. I'm so interested in it because I think it is for many human beings, it's like a central thing of either making the choice if you have the privilege to make a choice Mm -hmm. or just, we're going to need to care for each other at some point. And the expectation that I think has been uh, you know, the patriarchal colonial expectation that you're just an artist, ideally a man. But if you can't manage that, then at least you should just be independently wealthy and just be able to do the art and don't bug us with any of your real life shit. So I feel like, you know, there needs to be a seismic shift in order for us to keep making work and not lose people, not lose all the voices, all the art makers. Uh, I'm reminded of, and I'm sure you've heard the quotation, and I'm not going to get the quotation right because I have not memorized it, but the Maria Abramovich talking about female artists or female identifying artists should not be a mother because you cannot not give yourself 100% to art making. If you don't do that, you're not an artist. So something like that. I'll I'll look it up for reals and, and put it in the, <laughs> in the show notes, but... Uh, Sure, you have some opinions about that. Yeah, yes, I do. Marina Branovich always scares me. <laughs> me too. I love her, but she scares me. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, interestingly, you know, yes, actually, because I, I studied her, I did my master's last year, and that's what kind of has like led me upon this journey. Um, yeah, because I started writing and researching more and then, you know, kind of moving to writing about sort of, you know, auto-ethnographic stuff and realizing, wow, I've got a lot to unpack about this, this motherhood venture as it pertains to art making. And then I saw a call for papers. Um, Demeter Press is this wonderful publishing company and they publish a lot of matricentric stuff. And so they had a call for papers, you know, COVID-19 and the pandemic and mothering. And I thought, oh, Yes. And uh, so I had the pleasure of interviewing many folks across the country, um, yourself included, which was so lovely, loved our conversation. And, you know, I realized right at the beginning that these were conversations that I'd never had before, that somehow I had never talked to other caregivers in my field about, you know, really in depth about you know, their concerns, their issues, the highs, the lows, um, and how, you know, things systemically were affecting their work and their mothering or their caregiving. Anyway, I realized, why, why haven't I had these conversations? And then I started to think about the fact that I personally had kind of almost separated my personal domestic life from my professional life. Many artists don't, many artists do make other choices, but for whatever reason, that was the the choice I made. So I was like, well, what is forever reason? Like, why, why did I do that? And I started to think about professional contexts and how I felt like maybe 
my motherness wasn't welcome in the room. Now, whether that's perceived on my part or, you know, or truly vibing is still, you know, a question. But I think if, if I had the instinct that it wasn't, then there must, there must be some provocation there. And so, yeah, so I would sort of, you know, have this studio life and then this home life and never the two shall meet, which, um, is a regret. Now I'm like, okay, making up for lost time because the pandemic, you know, really does blend the two worlds. Like here you are in your domestic space, you know, teaching a class and kids walk in and it was sort of forced me to look at what that collision is. I think there's a lot of really interesting territory there in the disintegration of those borders, but also it made me, you know, write a paper (laughs) about about caregivers. And so, yeah, these conversations with folks were so enlightening and inspiring and, you know, started to point to concerns that ran deeper than just, you know, pandemic times. So what kind of things were operating systemically in our art system that maybe um, are barriers or challenges to caregivers continuing to work and have opportunities you know, as you said, we have system is kind of built upon a colonial patriarchal structure, you know, that is sort of echoes capitalism in its product oriented kind of uh, personality. (laughs) 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 When you have a product oriented kind of thing, then values around time and work and labor sort of follow, right? So, and the kind of profile of the dance artist is being one of available, you know, rides that wave, I think, or has in the past, I don't think it really works anymore. Um, I don't think it works well for, it hasn't for some time for caregivers in the arts, but I think also doesn't work for a lot of folks, you know. I think there's ways to work more flexibly um, and lots of artists are doing that. And, uh, and so I think it's kind of, you know, maybe the work is, building awareness and, um, you know, getting folks on board with how we can maybe change the way, the way we do what we do, which is like the theme of the time anyway. So it's kind of a great opportunity to, uh, yeah, to look at like really reframing the way we work and thinking about, um, yeah, thinking about how it can create more access for everybody. So true. It's an opportunity, a difficult time, but a a potential opportunity to do it differently. Mm -hmm. Are there ways from all this research that you think, okay, these are the first random number, first three things we need to change. Mm -hmm. Have you identified or, you know, for you, what could those be? Mm -hmm. I think, you know, really simple things that maybe aren't so simple when you really start to unpack them, but one would be sort of how we're creating our pathways to agreement. So how we can ask about folks' needs in a safe way and in a way that allows people to feel like they can bring to the table what they need in a particular work environment or process. I think that would be one. Um, Yeah, looking at flexibly working. So do we need to do the three-week process, you know, five days a week, whatever, four hours a day. Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's working, you know, within the hours that work for the people in the room. And maybe those are unconventional hours. Maybe they're shorter hours. So I think flexible working is another. Yeah, it's really interesting because, so just to kind of add to this conversation, you know, there's, I've got my hand, I'm so fortunate to have my hand in a, a few amazing initiatives at the moment, which are really kind of working towards these kinds of, you know, addressing these kinds of policy shifts or practice shifts. And uh, one of them is is upcoming. There's been a working group, um, a national working group of dance artists who've met, all caregivers, um, who've met over the last few months and have sort of started to build what could become maybe a handbook of best practices. And out of this working group has also emerged a panel initiative. So on Sunday, April 18th, a panel event, Intersections of Care, which um, is facilitated by Megan Andrews and uh, his wonderful panelists, Natasha Powell, Lisa Emmons, Bonnie Kim, 
as I go, <laughs> it's not in front of me. So I'm just, <laughs> you know, that moment where you have to say all the names. Justine Chambers. Justine Chambers, Victoria May, and Deanna Lopez Soto. So we're going to hear some of their stories and um, also include some presentations of some, you know, relevant research and kind of new initiatives. So that's really exciting. So that's upcoming. And then I also um, have just joined Theatre Direct, which is a Toronto-based company, Theatre for Young People. And they have an adjunct initiative um, called Balancing Act. So I'm producing Balancing Act, which is um, a national platform to support artist caregivers. We're just in the stages of getting the website up and going and we're going to um, provide some supports for artists but also look at how we can support arts organizations so this kind of cycles back to what you were saying about what are the changes we can do and I think that being able to support arts organizations in change and making change is something we can do and so hopefully Balancing Act can take that on because um, it takes you know it takes a village we have a wonderful steering committee Again, like pan-Canadian folks who are really engaged. People are very ready and wanting to speak about this issue. And I think that, um, I think the arts sector, I feel very positive really about the sector in terms of, um, yeah, wanting to shape projects that create more access. So I think it's great. (laughs) It's so exciting, Susie. It's so exciting what's happening and, and what you're doing and, I absolutely think people are ready and it's like, you know, everybody's kind of like peeking out from behind the curtain for, to use a lame theatrical <laughs> trope, but like, Oh, can I, is that, can we talk about this now? Mm-hmm. But I mean, some folks, I mean, just like applaud the folks who are just like, no, I'm bringing my kid. This is the reality. You live with it. Fantastic. Great. And just normalizing the whole thing, which I think is wonderful and so needed. And there are, are those folks who are like, it's, are they going to be mad if I asked to bring my baby to the meeting? And I feel like we're at a point where it's like, absolutely ask. And people are going to say yes, unless they're big assholes. Um, but I can't, I mean, I brought my, my baby to so many meetings. I mean, how many rehearsals was he like in the corner drawing or, you know, watching fucking Paw Patrol? So many problems with that show. That's for another time. <laughs> Um, but there's something about normalizing. I don't know like why, and this is, I think, you know, we can probably blame the Victorians or, you know, the, well, you, you get sent away. I mean, now those are the days where you get sent away when you get pregnant to the point where you are showing confinement. So I feel like we're still trying to come out from under that and we have to take care of people. And this is systemic, of course, why taking care of people is not amazing. Oh my God, amazing. Yes, let's, let's accommodate that. We need to, because <laughs> otherwise as a, we're going we're gonna to burn out. It's going to be ugly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, just to echo and say that, you know, I think care should, and I think folks are really realizing it does need to be at the forefront of everything we do now. And yes, that, you know, engaging in caregiving is such an in-depth process. It's so complex and it's so individual. And I worry about, you know, the loss of that knowledge and, you know, as it pertains to, you know, artistic work, like it, it is research and, you know, it would be great if there's the opportunities for those who want to bring that research forward into their artistic work to do so. I keep thinking about this time in the pandemic. Like we here in Ontario have been in our homes. (laughs) I'm almost going to cry. We've just been home. It's like, it's, you know, we're in a hot zone. It's just, we're on top of each other all the time. It's been messy and sometimes, you know, amazingly imaginative and like moments of, you know, joy but also just a lot of uh new and like gritty work and anyway I just think like is that all going to be for nothing there I see I feel the process in that I feel artistic and intellectual curiosity and I feel the research in it and I just think you know I hope that there's the opportunity for 
um, the voices to represent this time to include folks who have been in the trenches with caregiving. And that's not just children, that's folks who are looking after, you know, their partners who are immunocompromised. That's folks who are engaged in elder care. And there's a lot of them in the arts sector. Yes. There's a lot. And um, yeah, you know what, it, it would be great if there's the opportunity for it to be channeled into artistic practice if folks wanted to to come out of this time and have it mean something. And I, I just also want to say that, you know, obviously that the, the arena of caregiving is, is an intersectional space. Absolutely. And, you know, the concerns of caregivers intersect with concerns of marginalized persons and, you know, and just to say that, you know, multiply marginalized folks experience, obviously things so much more challenging at this time and any time. And, uh, and this, this idea of, you know, creating access or creating opportunity for caregivers hopefully is also just part of that larger conversation of access for more artists to be able to do more things, to get more and different voices at the creative table. Yeah, it absolutely serves, I think, every artist mm-hmm. to have more voices, to see your experiences for the audience, for the other artists reflected back. And we have not had, I mean, as a parent... I haven't seen enough work about parenting. Mm-hmm. For, I'd love to see more. I'd love mm-hmm. to, you know, see more of like, well, how the hell do you do that? What's, you know, because there's so many interesting, wacky, bananas things that happen when you're taking care of other humans. Mm-hmm. Messy, gross, super funny, so hard. Oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm reflecting the morning I had before I came to you, Susie. So I'm reminded of a conversation I had with a colleague quite a few years ago, and we were working on some material, uh, some text, and they said, you know, this is all interesting, but we got to get to some important stuff. And the stuff we were working on was was kind of like minutiae, parenting, partnering, you know, day-to-day all that stuff. And I was really struck. So I was like, why is that? Why is like the news, (laughs) the news important or issues or political issues that is deemed important. And these things of like, do I, you know, enroll my child in the Montessori and like what happens with the little Montessori shirt and, you know, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So I think that the personal is political. I think that's very, very much in that conversation and in this shift that we're we're seeing, I'm going to just say that we're it's going to it's going to continue um, as we move hopefully towards the end of the pandemic. Yeah, I I hope so. You know, I I would love to see work that dealt with parenting, caregiving. You know, be considered radical work, and I think that you know there are folks out there who are engaging. I, I mean, I think. <laughs> I think, I think, you know, parenting through a pandemic is a radical act, you know. Yeah, without a doubt. And there's a lot there. Um, as I said, there are folks, you know, who are engaging in, there's, a, there's an international artist residency in motherhood that you can find online. It's a template for basically being in process with your children. Um, so I know some folks working on that and really, you know, with this eye to you know, what kind of, what's, what's going to be the results of this research? Where could this go? There are, you know, global initiatives around this topic. So there's Parent Artist Advocacy League in the U.S. and PIPA in the U.K. performing, what I can't remember, it's performing parents, artists, there's something in there. It's wonderful. We'll, we'll find it and we'll, we'll link all these in the show notes. Yeah. You know, they're doing great pilot projects in terms of, and one of them actually um, that PAL is running is called the Radical Parent Inclusion Project. But yeah, I think I think there's some really exciting, meaty stuff ahead. I feel very hopeful. And uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm really curious about dancing in the disintegration of these borders. Yeah, the domestic and the professional. Just to change gears a little bit. Yeah. Unless you want to say more about that, because I know you're full of fantastically interesting things. Well, it's also just new, you know, I'm sort of like, I feel like I'm 
at the edge and I'm just learning from colleagues across the country and those that have come before. And, you know, this is ongoing work. It's been, caregiving has been work forever. And so I recognize that I'm just sort of a drop along the way, but hoping to, hoping to get into my advocacy soapbox years. With this, oh, yes. with this topic. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> See me on a street corner somewhere. <laughs> Here she is. I'll have my wig on. <laughs> You'll be like, there's that lady. That's a piece right there. There's a piece. Yeah. There's your next piece. For some reason, they see you with the sash, like the suffragettes, oh, like yeah. some sort of radical parenting sash or something. Love a sash. Maybe that. Maybe we'll do that for crafts today. We'll make sashes. Oh, yes. Maybe. Okay. This is the perfect segue. Maybe we'll do that for crafts today. Yeah. <laughs> As an artist right now, Susie, yeah. and a parent, how are you making that work? And also, how is it spectacularly failing mm. right now? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <sighs> you know, sometimes I feel like I actually don't dance enough with my kids. And that is like, feels like a horrible confession. Yeah. You know, people will say, oh, you must dance with your kids all the time. And, and I, I don't know what it is. I don't know. I don't know why, but I, I often feel like, am I giving my kids enough of an artistic experience? Because I really do feel like even a few years ago, I, I might have said, oh, yeah, not going to you know necessarily encourage them to be artists. But I'm starting to change. This time is changing me. And I feel like, why not? Why not <laughs> encourage them to be artists? I know that sounds so crazy. Like, why wouldn't I have thought that? But I guess I just recognize, you know, how hard it can be but now I'm like well you know it's all fair game like life is just you know and like the tools that I've learned you know being an artist they've just been have been the things that have kept me going like how to improvise how to problem solve how to be with people in a room how to negotiate space it's all there so why wouldn't I want to encourage them in that regard. So I've been really thinking about that. I've been thinking, you know, and trying not to do like the guilty parent thing, going, have I done enough? Oh, that's so hard. Trying to trying to be a little little easier on myself with it. But I that's what I'd like to see more of. Like this is a time where where I can do that. So how much yeah, what's the balance between focusing on my own artistic work and also, you know, in, including my my kids in that or offering some of them some of that I mean they do <laughs> okay so last week oh now we're getting into it now I'm really go so last week I, so I have an alter ego named Allegra Charleston um she's delightful she has been in the closet for you know the past 15 years and she comes out now and then to host dust dances or to just apprehend crosswalks and hang out with people she basically just likes to talk to people she's not necessarily you know she's more of a practice than a performance <laughs> so she literally does just like to be social and kind of go out into public space and see the world so for the last 2 weeks she had the pleasure of hanging out with some grade 7 kids and we caught this moment in this window of lockdown where she was actually able to, you know, be with them outside in public space. We were all masked. I had a she, she had a matching purple mask to match her um, purple polyester pants. It was really lovely. <laughs> anyway, she was so much fun, and the kids, of course, were just like like hungry for extracurricular, for anything new that was positive. And so they were very kind to her, and they <laughs> helped her along, and really. Um, yeah, we created just a, a lovely world. We visited each other over a period of a few days. Um, Allegra would just show up in their basketball court and she learned a lot from them. All to say is that at home, when I put her on, when, when, she, when she becomes Allegra, um, the kids are so delighted. <laughs> I think they like her better than they like me. Um, they love to talk to her. And they tell her things that they may not tell their mother. And so it's kind of fun to be her in this home. And yeah, and they play along. And I mean, they're not actually playing along. They're like literally talking to Allegra. And it's really delightful. Yeah. So. Oh my God, that's fabulous. It is. And now, now, so maybe more of that. Hey, Tara, maybe I should just put on the costume more. Just come to dinner with Allegra. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting thing. She's an amazing exploration. She 
Yeah. She um, has taught me a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm desperate to meet Allegra, mm-hmm. first of all. She would love to meet you. Yes. Oh my God. I feel like I have many people within me because I am mm-hmm. very populated inside Yeah, um, who would love to meet her. I have a theory. I have so many theories, but one of them is that we were all populated by many mm. different, maybe people, if you want to talk about it like that, but parts of our personalities that can be mm-hmm. like a chia pet kind of watered and grown into their mm. own independent, you know, living, breathing entity. Um, but as parents, I wonder if it's important or useful to think about our multiplicity as parents. Because sometimes as you were talking, mm. I'm like, yeah. I bet Jasper is just like super bored of mom Mm -hmm. because mom, the way I do things and the little (laughs) to get the math, shouldn't we do math? This is like, I'm going to do my nice voice, but maybe accessing all those things as performers, as artists to allow other parts of ourselves to parent. It's just something that popped Mm -hmm. into my mind Mm -hmm. right now. Um, I'm going to try it. There, there's a character, my character, Norman from, from Goggles, mm. who's, who's actually a nine-year-old <laughs> and he's obsessed with crime drama. <laughs> and I can't talk to you right now. Um, and when I go into that voice, Jasper just finds it delightful. Of course. Um, yeah, you've inspired me. I'm going <laughs> to, maybe we'll do math with Norman tomorrow. It might be less painful than doing math with mummy. <laughs> But it is amazing how, you know, imagination is such a safe, it's such a safety zone. Yeah. And, you know, I should be a little easier on myself. I certainly do imagination play with the girls, particularly um, Annie, my younger one. She just loves to go there. She asks to go there, you know. Um, there's a, Yes, we have another little character named Shooby Dooby and Shooby Dooby gets called out quite a bit. Can Shooby Dooby come? Um oh. Yeah. And it, I think it is also a place to, it, I say safety, it's a safe place because I think it is a place to also work out things, you know, or to try on new ideas. Um, Shooby Dooby is non-binary and that was like a really great way to enter that conversation. Yeah. Make them a part of our life and, and yeah, just try on different, different relationships, I guess, for them and for me. Well, we're really working it out, aren't we, Tara? <laughs> I think this is amazing. I'm loving it. I feel it. a workshop I'm coming it. on. I, don't... I think there's a workshop. I think there's multiple pieces. Yeah. There's probably a book. Um, yeah, absolutely. I feel like as I'm helping my child work things out, then I'm working it out at the same mm-hmm. time. Kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, reaching back into my childhood mm-hmm. and like, what if, like you talk about Shuby Dooby, mm-hmm. non-binary character, what if as a child I had been aware that that was a Mm -hmm. reality. Mm -hmm. Oh, I could have, Mm -hmm. the breath that that would have afforded Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. me in particular, I I, I think about. Mm -hmm. That's so wonderful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, imagination just being so useful also in this time, obviously. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like right now, I'm pretty sure I'm sitting on the beach talking to you. (laughs) You totally are. Yeah. Yeah. We spend a lot of time with like, uh, we pretend we're animals. And then, Mm -hmm. so yesterday was the ape. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were apes. What kind of ape are you? Mm -hmm. What does your house look like? What kind of, you know, ape clothes do you wear? Mm -hmm. We decide we were. So just, but it is about that. And we're traveling and we can go here and we can go here. Mm -hmm. And Mm Because you are on a beach. <laughs> uh, yeah. I love this thing that you just said about populating. You feel populated. I'm so curious. I mean, I know maybe I shouldn't ask you questions, but I'm so curious to know more about that. So you feel like you have these different... Yeah. Different people. Yeah. Yeah. I have since I was very, very young. And just to be clear, I haven't been diagnosed with a multiple personality situation, Mm. but I started out just, you know, being able to like flip back and forth Mm. into situations where I can match another person's personality or mannerisms, Mm. which we all have the mirror neurons. Mm. And that was like a a safety thing. But then I just, my mimicry, Mm. but then I would find, you know, there's parts of I believe that probably in every person, if not being, 
if we focus on them and just access those mirror neurons of, of uh, life, mm. can find reflections. Mm. And if you then tap into that reflection and you really can understand the other being. So I'm getting off mm. <laughs> on a tangent, mm. but um, yeah. And sometimes it just comes out as like, mm. in this situation, I'm going to be a little bit more of this guy. Mm. This guy is going to, has to come out for this situation because mm-hmm. we're in a meeting and maybe I'm in a meeting with a bunch of other guys. So I'm going to do this guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But maybe I'm in another situation where I'm just going to be like, really? Mm-hmm. I'm just going to be this person that's going to calm everybody down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm always finding new folks. Mm. Are you? Do you find like new folks that are lurking in there? Um, yeah, there there have been some, there's, there's, there's this one being, I don't know what their gender is or even kind of what they look like, but they, they like to sit around a fire and talk about the value of really elemental things, like being able to, I'm trying to find the voice. I haven't, I haven't been in them for so long. Um, it's like, you know, like, especially now, especially now, really, you know, you gotta, you gotta know how to build a fire. I mean, if you don't know how to build a fire, like, I mean, you know, it's that kind of thing, like just, yeah, <gasps> sort of like the elemental lessons, the value of building a fire. Oh, yeah. And yeah, and but I keep returning to Allegra and I, I started thinking about, you know, she has an English accent <laughs> and my heritage is all that. And I came up against it a bit, little bit. I was struggling a little bit, wondering if she was a person that needed to be in the world. But then when I started thinking about ancestry and heritage and that kind of channeling and, you know, literally another voice coming through and feeling like maybe it was a voice from my past, you know, another way to be in the world. It started to feel better, another layer of depth, I guess. Yeah. I wonder if there's a, an empathy and a caring for parts of ourselves that maybe we haven't um, accepted or looked at or valued when these beings come out. Hey. Hmm. Totally. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's much more brave than me in the way that she's just, you know, is sort of ready to hang out on a street corner and talk to folks if they're interested. I love it. Yeah. But she doesn't exist without other people. And I think that is the crux of it that makes it also really feel right is that she, her curiosity is about others and learning from others and you know, really engaging with what other people offer up. So (laughs) I feel like we could just keep talking. I just want to pursue this. Maybe I'm not going to promise, but maybe (laughs) as our last question, because I feel like I'll need to have you back on to talk about like character. And this is such an interesting conversation, but during this pandemic, that reality that I definitely feel is like so many of my characters or, or my inspiration for performing and creation comes from other people, from being in the room with other folks. And how are you finding or negotiating or have you found ways to feel that during these times? Um, Yeah, I mean, the Zoom space is is an ongoing surprise to me uh, in terms of, yeah, how it really is a, a window into relational work. And so I've embraced that, like I taught this morning from my kitchen. <laughs> and it was a lovely room, the Zoom room, the Zoom class. And, uh, and there is, I do feel that there is an exchange even through this, you know, very strange form. And I do feel like I still am able to receive, you know, inspiration from, from folks But the public space thing is is tricky because you don't want to overstep and, you know, and you want people to feel safe. So, so yeah, apprehending public spaces definitely had to like negotiate the right timing of things, negotiate people's personal comfort, like trying to make sure that, that I'm at a distance or, or that, uh, yeah, that I haven't set up a scenario that's going to 
put undue pressure on other folks. And it's, it's really tricky to navigate that right now. Yeah. I think I've got a lot of inspiration from what people are doing. You know, I do, I, I'm not a huge social media person, but I am there because I'm really curious about whether, what other people are up to. And, uh, and it does fuel me. Yeah. How are we doing this? What are we training for? How can we support shifts in what we do? What kinds of conversations do we need to have so that sector can kind of move forward together with this new, in this new way? I just hope to be present for all of it and, you know, contribute in the way that I can. I definitely feel like, you know, I'm on the older twilight latter half end of things. And so it does, I feel very concerned that my role in the sector is offering something is really helping in some way. (laughs) And I'm excited to do that. That's, you know, we're so lucky Tara that we, you know, in, in some ways that we have had a lot of opportunities to perform that that has happened. We've got a lot under our belt. It's so true. So I, I'm very grateful. I'm really, really grateful for that. And, um, and very mindful of everyone's situation being different in that regard. Yeah. My, I must say like from the beginning, I was like, oh my God, thank God I've had all this time on stage. And some of the folks that um, I'm mentoring, mm-hmm. although let's be frank, they, they mentor me know, more than I mentor them really. Oh, I love the it so flow. much. <laughs> I just, I know. I love it. Yes. It's so good, but just like, oh, I want you to be able to do the European tour that just got canceled mm-hmm. on you. Mm-hmm. Your first, you know, all these, just to have it. So I really hope that I can be part of mm-hmm. fanning the flames. And I think part of what, if I may, what our role is, is it keep going mm-hmm. in all the ways, in all the supportive ways. And just to, to be, to be Allegra on the street corner. Mm-hmm. Because I think like, wow, when I was 20, if I saw someone, a middle-aged, fabulous person <laughs> in polyester pants, oh yes, this is great because this is not the end. You know, when I was at Royal Winnipeg, it was, you're going to dance until you're 27 and then that's it. Mm. That was like the magic age. And then when it was in contemporary dance, it was like 35. Mm. There's no magic age, people. Mm-hmm. Just do it until you don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> do it until those polyester pants disintegrate, which they don't. <laughs> which they never will. And isn't that just... <laughs> and they don't break down. So it's your responsibility to keep using them and keep performing. Exactly. Them. It's very environmental in that way. <laughs> I love it. My last question, the last thing I want to leave our listeners with, is there something, a practice, uh, a quote, a meal that you are doing right now or you have found that is helping you stay creative or helping you be an artist in whatever way that is? I got to say walking. Walking, I feel, is just, for me, the cure-all or even more than that, it's generative. So as well as working out the kinks physically, there's this point where, you know, you walk long enough and then your mind kind of gives over into just this train of thought. And um, I find it's where I can work out a lot of stuff. And I know there's so many folks who have done remarkable research on on walking and walking as a practice. And um, so I'm just doing it right now. That would be my number one go-to. That's been one of my go-tos too. It's life-saving. Like walk it out, walk it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like literally yeah. just walk it out. Yeah. Love it. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Tara. This has been just delightful. I will have you back because I feel like we just started talking about so many things yeah. <laughs> and there's so many great things to talk about and to uh, work out. Yeah. Walk it out. Yeah. Walk it out. <laughs> Yeah, no, thank you. It's such a, it's such a pleasure. And um, yeah, and thank you for all the the work and energy that you're bringing to the world. It's, uh, yeah, it's very inspiring. Oh, right back at you. And that's it. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much, Susie, for such a great conversation. It's so many things to think about. Don't we want to meet Allegra? I can't wait to meet Allegra. Please be in touch. 
Instagram, Tara Cheyenne TCP, Facebook, Tara Cheyenne Performance, or email me, info at tarashayan.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts and maybe somebody you'd like to hear interviewed. Maybe it's you. Talking Shit with Tara Cheyenne is a production of Tara Cheyenne Performance with original music by Mark Stewart, also edited and produced by the same Mark Stewart. You can get a hold of him at markstewartmusic.com. And once again, if you have the means to donate, it really does help. Upper right-hand corner, www.terrashine.com, or a link is in the show notes. The role of the artist is to make the revolution irresistible. Tony Cade, Bambara. Take care, be well, keep making shit up. This podcast is effing good. (laughs) (laughs) Dear Marceau, this type look familiar? Yeah, the old yard sale Remington 11. Best five bucks I ever spent. Remember? You and Sylvia working a tune, me typing, all day, half the night. Hun, chuck me a lighter. All week I tried not to think about my appointment with Dr. Bell. I try to avoid analyzing myself, as I've stated clearly many times before. So Dr. Bell's questions are excruciating. But on the screen, the scoreboard reads zero, zero. Hey man, I want a whiskey sour. Midway through the third period, the place thins out because the Bruins are way ahead. Color vanishes from the screen. Look around. All the screens are now black and white. Suddenly, beside me, a presence. I saw you the other day. Oh, uh, sorry, look, uh, I'm sorry I didn't talk with you. I was just feeling so... I I get it. Is the television black and white? It's gray. What do you think of this beer? I wanted a cocktail. Welcome to Isolation Suite, a surreal hybrid of rock and roll, poetry, and drama. The six-part series launches April 15th on the Isolation Suite website, Stitcher, Apple, and Spotify. The series follows Undone, an isolated musician who is going gray physically, mentally, spiritually, and even technologically. Isolation Suite minds music, metaphor, and comedy in the gray zones of mental illness. Isolation Suite is a co-production between Theatre Conspiracy and Rumble Theatre in Vancouver on the traditional and unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh. Our work proceeds in solidarity with and in a spirit of reconciliation with all First Nations.